right, guys, welcome back to Revive School. Here we are, Lesson 16. We're covering a new book today. It's not very big. It's three chapters, but it's many that have a hard time finding it. Zephaniah. I mean, think about this. Just yesterday, Kevin, we, we covered the book of Habakkuk. You know, prior to that, we covered Nahum. And then, look, you go back to, you have all of these different texts from Hosea to Joel to Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. I mean, all of these, they're really short, hence why they call them minor prophets. Remember our friend from Israel, he calls them small prophets. But it's not because they're short in size, uh, in, in the literature size they are. That's really the only difference, you guys, between the major prophets like Jeremiah and Isaiah and and the minor prophets. It's literally a size issue of the literature. So, Kevin, if you go to the kings and the prophets, you remember this. You have Saul, David, Solomon, the kingdom split. Okay, here's what you have to understand. It's going to feel like on repetition, you know, we're being repetitive. But the reality is, is you got a new guy. Zephaniah is contemporary with Nahum. He's hanging out here with Habakkuk and Jeremiah, this kind of time frame. Zephaniah, you guys, is in the southern kingdom. Okay, so you have the northern kingdom, which, Kevin, how many tribes are there? Ten. Ten tribes. And then you have the southern kingdom, okay, which is primarily Judah and the languages and also Jerusalem. Jerusalem is not one of the tribes, but it's kind of like Judah and <laughs> Jerusalem. Wait till we get to Zechariah when we talk about God's love for Jerusalem and all that's going to happen. And so here you have in Zephaniah, I, I think it's kind of pretty obvious, but usually the 12 minor prophets that we've been talking about that we're getting into typically just bears the name of the author. Okay, so we're going to get into this historical backdrop because many of us, I mean, myself included, we don't know. I, that's the one thing you guys has blown me away about Revived School. Like all of this history, it actually begins to make sense. Like when you start talking about the Assyrians enough and the Babylonians enough and, you know, the 722s and then you get into the 586s and then in between there you have, you know, the 605s and the Karkovish. You're kind of like, wow, all of this is like getting caught into captivity, right? Getting killed, some of them, in the process. And yet, Kevin... He's going to free them, free them from this captivity and then also ultimately even into the millennium. The challenge with the minor prophets, just like it is with the major prophets, is what's the time frame that he's talking about? And that's kind of really what I want to go. I will tell you this, you know, the, the phrase Zephaniah, his name. Can you go to Zephaniah 2, 3 for me? Zephaniah 2, 3, it says this. It says, seek the Lord, all you humble of the land who do his just commands, seek righteousness, uh, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. So, Kevin, we already know, like, something bad is coming, right? On the day of the anger of the Lord. There's a lot of language of the day of the Lord, okay? This is what we're talking about. In other words, the time that the destruction is coming. Well, what's interesting is, is that it says, you may, perhaps you may be hidden uh, the name Zephaniah means the Lord hides. You know, little is really known about Zephaniah. In fact, three other Old Testament individuals share Zephaniah's name. <laughs> you wonder if they met each other, if they got excited. Hey, what's up, Zeph? Oh, I go by Naya. Oh, Zephy. You know, <laughs> three other Zephaniahs. <laughs> Zephy? Did I say that? You said <laughs> Oh, Lord. Uh, all right. So here's what's cool about Zephaniah. OK, when you look in verse one, Zephaniah one, one, I, I really don't want you to miss one. It says the word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah. Look at this. Son of Cushi, son of Gedaliah, son of Amaria, son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. He traces his genealogy back four generations all the way to King Hezekiah which is, falls into the line, Kevin. Here you have roughly 715 to 686 B.C. 
standing alone among the prophets, as John MacArthur said, and he descended from royal blood. Zephaniah's lineage is the royal line. He is the great, great grandson of Hezekiah. I mean, this is a pretty cool picture. And I think to me, it's important to understand that he has this lineage. We'll get into that a little bit more. Uh, When you look into this, the prophet himself dates his messages during the reign of Josiah, which would be 640. So, Kevin, here you have this language of Josiah, 640 to 609 B.C. The moral and spiritual conditions at this time were detailed in the book. Okay, in Zephaniah 1, 4 through 6. And it basically seems to place the prophecy prior to Josiah's reform. Okay, so prior to Josiah's reform, remember, Josiah brought in good things. Remember, he brought in reformation. So this is prior to this when Judah was still functioning in idolatry and wickedness. Crazy. Habakkuk is after Josiah, after the successor comes in and Kevin, they're in the idolatry and wickedness. This is before Josiah. And guess what happens? They're in the idolatry and the wickedness. So unless you're in that little window, uh oh, <laughs> I mean, so that's kind of the picture. If if it was in 628 B.C. that Josiah, t- it, it, excuse me, it was in 628 B.C. when Josiah tore down all the altar, altars to Baal, burned down the bones of the false prophets and Yes, uh, broke up all the carved idols. And then in 622 B.C., we've already referenced this multiple times throughout the Minor Prophets, the book of the law was found. Right? So all these prophecies, these leaders are saying something is coming. Trust God in this process. And nobody really wants to hear it. That's kind of the theme of a prophet. Major prophet or a minor prophet, it doesn't matter. It's not going to be good. So when he says, hide me, right, in this time frame, he's saying, because there's a lot coming. Kind of let me just kind of back up. And, and some of this is going to feel like a lot. But again, I want to keep building this because otherwise we don't really have a full concept of this. Politically, we've gone from the Assyrian world power, Kevin, to who? Babylonians. The Babylonians. Okay, they weakened Nineveh's hold on Judah. Okay, they're bringing on an element of independence to Judah, right? Think about this. For the first time, it says, MacArthur says it this way, in 50 years, King Josiah's desire to retain this newfound freedom, okay, all begins to unfold. But spiritually, the reigns of Hezekiah's son, Manasseh, over four decades, into his grandson, Amos, okay, uh, into this, lasting two years, marked by, basically, they're marked by wickedness and apostasy. Again, lineage just kind of keeps going, kind of keeps pecking away at this. And then early years of Josiah's reign would also char- was, was characterized by evil from his father. The reality is, is the message of Zephaniah uh, really focuses in on the day of the Lord. There is so much here on the day of the Lord that the final days are near. Divine judgment is coming specifically at the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, right? That's, that's the language in Nebuchadnezzar. But Kevin, also of the fulfillment, and here it is, we're ready to jump off the cliff, at the fulfillment of the judgment of Daniel's 70th week. Now that takes us back a ways, doesn't it? <clears throat> so again, you have to understand something. This is right before, okay, Zephaniah, this has not happened yet. Babylonian captivity has not happened. So in this language that there's this mentality that, yes, you're going to be taken into captivity, hence the judgment. 
But man, it's so much more than that. It's so much more. So let's do this. We haven't done this in a long time. So you have Zephaniah, who he has the prophetic word, right? And the prophetic word goes to, really, Kevin, 586 B.C., right? Contemporary, basically, at this time. Yep. So then in this process of the 586, he said, hey, you guys are going to fall. And you're going to fall to the Babylonians, specifically even Nebuchadnezzar. But there's a bigger picture than this, and we haven't really drawn this in quite a long time. Remember this context. Jesus... Okay, comes. Okay, this is the first, what we would call the first advent, the first coming. Okay, we're not talking about this time frame. The bigger picture is now in this, you have what we would consider seven year, seven years of tribulation. Okay, the day of the Lord, you guys, comes at the end of the seven years. Okay, so when we're talking about which day of the Lord, right? In their mind, they're talking this. But Kevin, the big picture is this. Seven years of tribulation, just so you guys know, there's three and a half years of peace. Then the Antichrist, there's actually a person that will be the Antichrist. He'll come in and he'll put himself in the temple. Okay, that The temple will be rebuilt. Somehow, some way, the Antichrist is going to put himself in there. There's going to be peace in all of the earth with in the Middle East, specifically with Israel. And at the three and a half year time period, he's going to say, this Antichrist says, I'm going to say I'm the, that he's God. Now there's going to be another three and a half years, so a total of seven years. At the end of the seven years, you can expect the day of the Lord. Now, the, the day of the Lord is a day? Probably not. It's multiple. It's a, it's a long time period that we don't know, but that's the, the destruction that you're going to hear about in this text. So Zephaniah is a huge picture, and it's really, really hard, to be honest, to grasp some of this if you don't understand the end times. And I think that's the that's part of our, I think within the church, we're so hesitant or scared that we're going to get it wrong, that we don't dig into it ourselves. And the one thing you have to understand, nobody has this completely spelled out, just so you know. Nobody does. You can study the little dummy books for Revelation. You can study the, you know, the, the simplicity books for the minor prophets. You can study the heady theological in-depth doctrinal books that are going to like paint a picture. But the reality is, you guys, not everybody agrees. I just want to paint a simple, I think that's the one thing about Revive School that I love that God's doing is, is that we're simple. Like, yes, you can go in a lot more in depth, but there's something about just understanding the bigger picture. Okay, so if you'll go to Zephaniah 1, 1, uh, you're going to begin to see really, uh, let me just dig into 1 and then we'll, we'll begin to explain 2 and 3. The word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, son of Cushi, remember we talked about this, the lineage, son of Gedaliah, son of Amariah, son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. So he's talking about the fourth generation and then this is who he's functioning. His ministry is in the days of that president. Does that make sense? In the days of that king, okay? And in verse 2 and 3, you're going to see this language that judgment is coming to the entire earth. Like this is Zephaniah's word. Sometimes I, I always play the game in my head, which minor prophet would I rather be? You know, would I rather be like, oh dear Lord, Hosea? Remember who has to marry uh, an unfaithful person and stick with it? Or would I rather be, you know, Jonah? Hmm, those aren't really good options, by the way. <laughs> or would you rather be Zephaniah that says, hey, by the way, the whole world is going to be swept away. <laughs> I'll completely sweep away everything from the face of the earth. This is the Lord's declaration. He says in verse 3, I will sweep away man and animal. 
I'll sweep away the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea and the ruins along with the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth. This is the Lord's declaration. In other words, look, you're going to see that clearly this is a comparison to the Genesis flood. I mean, this is the mentality. And in fact, in Genesis 6, 7, you don't need to go there, Kevin. And in Genesis 7, 23, you see this man and beast and the birds of heaven language. It's the same image, except this time, remember, God promised us this is never going to happen. And now he says, until the end, right? So in our time, you see a rainbow, you're like, good. <laughs> when you don't see a rainbow, folks, you should fully expect the day of the Lord. I mean, that's kind of the picture. That's kind of the mentality. And God is going to continue to remove things so that all of judgment can come on mankind. And then it says in verses really uh, four and on, and it goes even into chapter two, verse three. So, Kevin, we have what you would say judgment on. So when we're talking about uh, the day of the Lord, you have judgment on the whole earth. But remember, Zephaniah's message, you guys, is to, to the southern kingdom. Now you're going to begin to see the language of judgment on Judah. Now it feels like the book of Habakkuk again, right? I will stretch out my hand, I'm in verse four, against Judah and against all the residents of Jerusalem. So there's that same language, right? Southern kingdom and then Jerusalem is still tied into this. I'll cut off every vestige of Baal. Remember the, the false gods from this place. The names of the pagan priests along with the priests. It says in verse five, uh, here's this course. Warren Wearsby says, this is now the course for the judgment. Why? Those who bow and worship on the rooftops to the heavenly host. Those who bow and pledge loyalty to the Lord, but also pledge loyalty to Milcom. And those who turn back from following the Lord, who do not seek the Lord or inquire of him. So like this is the reason, this is how it's going to begin to unfold. And he continues this mentality of Judah's judgment in verse uh, 7. Be silent in the presence of the Lord God. Now, this is where it gets crazy. He's going to talk about Judah being the sacrifice. He's not talking about the other nations. He's not talking about the Babylonians. He's not talking about the Chaldeans. Kevin, he's talking about Judah is now going to be the sacrifice in the day of the Lord. Look, he says, be silent in the presence of the Lord God. For the day of the Lord is near. Indeed, the Lord has prepared a sacrifice. This is crazy, you guys. And he's inviting his guests. He's consecrated his guests. God's judgment on Israel was that they became the sacrifice. The guests, and I like what MacArthur says, were the dreaded Babylonians. The enemies were now the guests and they were invited to kill the sacrifice Judah. This is what we're talking about. The Lord has prepared judgment on Judah. And by the way, it's the Babylonians that get to implement this. Because Kevin, remember, this hasn't happened yet. So all of this is unfolding. And so in their mind, the day of the Lord, in their mind, Kevin, uh, like I should say in our mind, really, it's 586. But the reality is, it's the day of the Lord after the seven years of tribulation. But they didn't have that picture back then. There's no way that there maybe, but like, how would they even figure that out? We have a hard time figuring this out. And so there's this imagery that this is what it's going to look like. So in verse eight, okay, judgment is coming and it's going to come through Nebuchadnezzar on the day of the Lord's sacrifice. I will punish the officials, the king's sons, and all who are dressed in foreign clothing. In other words, that foreign clothing mentality is, is you're, you're focusing on the wrong gods. You're focusing on the wrong things. You have been dressed in, I would say, like a fakeness, a pretendness that you shouldn't be living. Verse 9, he says, On that day I will punish all who skip over the threshold, who fill their master's house with violence 
and deceit. And then he, he begins, you guys, uh, to understand. And I like what Warren Wiersbe says. Wiersbe says that Zephaniah could have been a, a resident in Jerusalem. Because what you're going to begin to see in verse 10 is language of knowing the city really, really well. He says, on that day, this is the Lord's declaration. There will be an outcry from the fish gate. I mean, kind of stated obvious. The fish gate is also known as the, as the Damascus gate, which is also known where fishermen would have entered in with their catches. Okay, so like this is an actual gate. It's a wailing from the second district, which is within the city walls. Okay, and a loud crashing from the hills. In other words, merchants. Okay, MacArthur says were made, were made wealthy from dishonest gain. They were now singled out to depict the anguish of the coming judgment. So he's talking about these merchants, these fishermen that are coming in and not doing good things. Judgment is coming to them. He says in verse 11, man, here's here's immense judgment now coming. Wail, you residents of the hollow. OK, which is talking about a specific location for all the merchants will be silent. All those loaded with silver will be cut off. And at that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps. And punish the men who settle down comfortably, who say to themselves, the Lord will not do good or evil. This is a really interesting posture. I mean, to me, this is a complacent, like if you're to apply this very simply today, this is a complacent believer. They settle down comfortably. They're like, oh, the Lord, he will not do good or evil. In other words, it's almost like God's not going to bother me right now. That's what he's implying. I'm fine. Kevin? It almost feels like he's not in control. You're saying... I can't see God in control, so he's not in control. Here's where it gets really, really big. Verse 14, the great day of the Lord is near, near and rapidly approaching. Listen, the day of the Lord, there the warrior's cry is bitter. I mean, Kevin, we're actually talking about the dreaded picture of the great tribulation. We're actually talking about the extreme battle at the end of the seven years. I mean, what you see in 14 through 18 is that you have the day of the Lord being described. Yes, it's being fulfilled when Babylon takes over Judah, but I have to keep going. The whole thing, the ultimate fulfillment, you guys, is truly, uh, it involves the whole earth at the great day of the Lord at the end of the seven years. Verse 15, it has a crazy picture. Verse 15, it just says this. This is, that day is the day of wrath. A day of trouble and distress, a day of destruction and desolation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness, a day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the high corner towers. Like that whole trumpet blast mentality, like guys, sound the alarms because it ain't looking good. It really is, J. Vernon McGee says, it's a day of fear. He says in verse 17, and let, let me just, I don't want us to miss this. Like in that time frame, this would be a great time to hide. Right? I mean, this is a great time for the Lord to intervene. Please, Lord, hide me in all of this. And he says this in verse 17, I'll bring distress on mankind. They'll walk like the blind because they've sinned against the Lord. Their blood will be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. In other words, no matter where you're at, you, you, you will not be able to escape this. Kevin, who's he talking to? Mankind, but he's talking to the Judah. I mean, it really is mankind. But again, it goes back to this is the message and then so. And we're so close to it happening in 586. We're so close to seeing the fall. Uh, and really, even in early on in the Battle of Carchemish, you're going to start seeing the first wave of deportation take place. 
Three waves, you're going to see this. Then in verse 18, he says, Their silver and gold will not be able to rescue them on the day of the Lord's wrath. The whole earth will be consumed by the fire of his jealousy, for he will make a complete, uh, Scripture says, yes, a horrifying end of all the inhabitants of the earth. Holy cow. And now he just jumped from not just Judah, Kevin. He jumped to everybody. So that's the first chapter. I want to begin to unpack, if I can, the other two chapters. In chapter 2, what you'll see in verse 1 is this. I want to just kind of do a summary. Gather together, yes, gather, O shameless nation. And so basically, I need you to plead for deliverance. Like, this is what we need to begin to see. We need deliverance to take place. In verse 2, this is the description of the Lord again, of the day of the Lord. Before the day passes away like chaff, before there comes upon you, the burning anger of the Lord, before there comes upon you, the day of the anger of the Lord. Verse 3, the call then becomes extended to all the inhabitants. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, who do his just commands. And then look what he begins to unfold. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. And Kevin, this goes back to this imagery of you know the name Zephaniah, right? The Lord who hides. The Lord, what is it technically? I think it was... Uh, Officially, his name uh, means the Lord hides. Maybe the Lord will hide you in the day of the Lord. Now, there's so many people that are like, we're never going to be here. I'm a pre-trib mentality. I'm going to be raptured out. That's fine. Praise the Lord. I hope all of us are that case. But what if the mid-tribbers are right? You know, and you have to go through some of the tribulation. What if the post-tribulation guys are right and that you're going to be around in this time frame? All I want to just say is, is, in all of this, we need the Lord's protection. Whether he takes us out or whether he puts his hands and he hides us here, either way, Pray that we could be hidden in this because this is, this isn't like a fun day at the fair. It's hell on earth. So he says, seek the Lord and you need to humble yourself in the process. Verse four, really four through 11. uh, This is where it gets kind of interesting. Four through 11, you will now begin to see, I mean, Zephaniah two, four through 11, it's the judgment that falls against all of the nations. So now, Kevin, the shift, the, 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 uh, the shifting has taken place to the judgment is on the nations. So we've gone from the judgment on the whole earth. We've got from judgment on Judah. Now judgment on the nations. And that's really what you begin to see in four through 11. Now, when you go to verse 12, specifically, First, you know, he calls out the Cushites. He calls out those from Ethiopia. You also, O Cushites, shall be slain by my sword. So now he's got the Ethiopians. And then in verses 13 through 15, now you see uh, judgment on the Assyrians. This is all going to take place on the day of the Lord. All I want to challenge us is, is that part of my calling in my life is to equip the saints so that they'll be ready for his return. I don't know when it is. And if that's the case, I don't want to say be ready for his return and that you're going to leave before he comes. I want us to be ready at any given time. And now in Zephaniah 3, verse 15, uh, I'm sorry, 1 through 5. Uh, Zephaniah 3, 1 through 5, you have now judgment, Kevin, that's coming on Jerusalem. Verses one through five. Woe to her who is rebellious and defiled, the oppressing city. Now he's talking about Jerusalem. She listens to no voice. (laughs) She accepts no correction. She does not trust in the Lord. She does not draw near to her God. So all of these things, they feel really, really negative. 
right? Don't they? That's it. And it says her officials within her are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves that leave nothing till the morning. Verse four, her prophets are fickle, treacherous men. Her priests profane what is holy. They do violence to the law. Verse five, the Lord within her is righteous. He does no injustice. Every morning he shows forth his justice. Each dawn he does not fail, but the unjust knows no Shame. Judgment is, (laughs) J. Vernon McGee says it this way, judgment is in ratio to her privilege. I love that. In other words, uh, Jerusalem's getting what they deserve. Here's the crazy thing. You could do this to so many cities in the world. It's Jerusalem, which is God's home. And now he's saying, I'm done with you guys right now. I'm so tired of how you're acting. Verses six through eight. Kevin, here's where it's the humdinger. Okay, we've already talked about it at the beginning, but now we're going to talk about it again. And now here you see really this Armageddon mentality. He says, I've cut off nations. Their battlements are in ruins. I've laid waste their streets so that no one walks in them. Their cities have been made desolate without a man, without an inhabitant. Verse seven, I said, surely you'll fear me. You will accept correction. Then your dwelling would not be cut off according to all that I've appointed against you. But all the more they were eager to make all their deeds corrupt. Finally, then it goes on. To verse 8, therefore wait for me. Look at this. For the day when I rise up to seize the prey, for my decision is this, to gather the nations, assemble kingdoms, to pour out upon them my indignation, all my burning anger, for in the fire of my jealousy. You're going to see this language because God's love is so strong for his people. Because there's a jealousy that dwells within the Lord, Guess what? He's going to bring destruction, Kevin, on all of the nations, literally in Armageddon. And so God, in all reality, Armageddon says, I'm going to kill everybody else. I'm going to wipe out everybody. That's that's what we're seeing, Kevin, at the battle of Armageddon. It's because of his love is so strong. In fact, if we go to uh, verse 17, you're going to see just this key verse that really begins to shift everything. It's this mentality of the Lord, the Lord, your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. Kevin, that's the mentality that we're talking about. So this is the phrase. It says a mighty one. Uh, Some of the other versions says uh, a warrior. And so what we've done is, is your phrase for Zephaniah is mighty warrior. Okay, that points to Jesus, which is really incredible because guess what? Jesus is the one coming back on the day of the Lord. Jesus is the one coming back in the battle of Armageddon. Jesus is the one that's going to clean house and he's doing this. Because he's going to save his people. And he's doing this because there's a jealousy that, that comes within him. And it says in 17, he will rejoice over you with gladness. And this is the imagery of this bird that Mindy has painted. Uh, it, it, it looks like it, this mighty warrior one. He's coming to save. Like It kind of has a little bit of an aggressive look. And yet at the same time, he will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. It's this, this mentality of he's going to fight for us and he's going to love us. Jesus functions as a mighty warrior for us in the end. Man, if I'm a, a Judahite, when if I'm in the bottom in the southern kingdom here and I'm thinking about, he's talking about Babylonian captivity, I'm not even remotely thinking about the battle of Armageddon. But when we pull back and look at the bigger picture, you guys, that's really what it looks like. And then in 18, 19 and 20, it says, I'll gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. In verse 19, behold, at that time, I'll deal with all of your oppressors and I'll save the lame and gather the outcast and I'll change their shame into praise and renown in all of the earth. And finally, and at that time, I'll bring you in 
at the time when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. The mighty warrior is the one that does the work. Again, it's the same mentality of Habakkuk. It doesn't look good, and yet God decides to still save and spare his people. In the context of Zephaniah, he does it through a mighty warrior. All right, guys, that concludes another minor prophet. We'll continue this study tomorrow, Kevin, as we begin to unfold Haggai.